Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I am your host, Duff McDonald, with no co-host to speak of today. Matt is skiing somewhere beautiful, and Joey of Rockledge is confined to bed on the orders of our cat, who is a doctor of sorts, and she is keeping Joey company upstairs. Today is a special day with a special guest. It is the 100th episode of How to Tickle Yourself. That's pretty crazy, right? Matt and I started this podcast in June 2020 at the behest of our friend Chuck LaBella. And here we are almost three years later, clocking into the triple digits. I will see you when we hit a thousand. And today's guest is special for a couple of reasons. One of them is related. For starters, he produced the first year of this podcast. His name is Andrew Steiner. And he added all the great interstitial music, edited out all the nonsense, and helped us create a distinct identity here at How to Tickle Yourself. He has since passed that baton on to Oscar Desidero, who continues to make us sound good, but Andrew set the standard. We cannot thank him enough. Speaking of setting the standard, the second reason Andrew is special is because he's a stand-up comedy who's funny as all get out. An internationally touring comedian. He's performed at Rochester and Philly Fringe Festivals. Just got back from comedy in Iceland. He's been at the Comic Strip, Laughs, Seattle, and will be featured at the upcoming Glasgow Comedy Festival. He told me yesterday, for all our Canadian listeners out there, that he's putting together maybe not one, but two tours in Canada coming up. We'll talk about that in a sec. I haven't seen Andrew perform live yet, but that's not because I don't like him. It's because I live 100 miles away from him. Uh, And that's my excuse. In recent months, he's been performing his comedy show, How to Meditate, a stand-up comedy bit about his unorthodox spiritual journey that explores the nature of happiness, self-identity, and true love through a series of unconventional and hilarious stories, as well as guided meditation. I am told there is also burlesque, which is very intriguing. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Andrew. It's good to have you on this side of the microphone. Thank you, Dolph. Great to be here. At the present moment, Traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion, right here, right now, right here, right now, whoa, right here, right now. So let's talk about recent events. You just got back from performing in Iceland. How the hell does one book a gig in Iceland? You know, my my buddy was living in Queens and I guess he visited Iceland, met an Icelandic woman, got married, and uh, then they moved back to Iceland. So I was like, hey, Aaron, uh, hook it up. And he did. It's all about who you know, even in Iceland, right? Exactly. All right. So um, We'll get. I'm, I want to talk about our podcast in a little bit, but I want to talk about your show first and foremost. How to meditate? How on earth is that a comedy show? How are you uh, combining meditation and comedy? 
Well, you know, most of the show is just me talking. It's just, it's just a way to wrap up my act in a pretty little narrative bow. And I've, I've gone to great lengths to try to make it all connect, and it does to a certain degree. But really, it's, it's, you know, it's your typical first special where the comedian, you get to know the comedian. And uh, I figured, what makes me unique? The fact that I lived in a Zen temple, that's something. How long? For how long? Just two months. Supposed to stay a year, but I, I couldn't hack it. <laughs> it was uh, too intense. I was tw- I was twenty one years old. You know, too quiet. Was it too quiet? That's what I hear from a lot of people who go to those things. It wasn't even that it was too quiet. It was just that I was I was twenty one years old. I was still a virgin. <laughs> I I was ins- insatiably lustful, and I was just sitting in a in a hall with a bunch of bald dudes. And, <laughs> And then we had one one day a week out in in the city in Okayama, which was just enough to like torture me to be surrounded by beautiful Japanese women, and and also just you know twelve hours a day when you're that immature with your own thoughts is just insane. Okay, so you left there and came back to where you're from. You're from around here, right? Yeah, I'm from Westchester, the suburbs of the city. My first in my uh, in an earlier life, I lived in Bronxville with my first wife. Oh, nice! Um, and my daughter still lives there. She rides in um, uh, Bedford or Pauling, so we're in Pauling okay. all the time. Cool. All right. So when I when we were talking yesterday, and I asked you what what we should talk about today, your first answer uh, caught me off guard. You said capitalism. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about capitalism. I wrote books on capitalism. What do you have to say? Well, not as much as you probably, but I, I just, it's interesting because I, in high school, I was a communist and my grandfather was a communist before me. And then I proceeded to get very jaded. I was already jaded with the status quo, but then I became jaded with communism as well. <laughs> <laughs> and... So it's like now I just don't know where where I stand except for that I I hate the dehumanizing aspects of our our society and the necessary wastes of time we must all do in order to make a living or what what most people do not everyone obviously people have found their way out of that that meaningless drudge through life that working a day job can be Mm-hmm. There's a great there's a great book um by the late David Graeber. It's called Bullshit Jobs. Oh, I think I've read I think I read the whole book. I actually made it through at the end. Right, where he was and to me the interesting thing was at first I went in thinking, I know about all the bullshit jobs. And he was like, No, 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 no. A bullshit job is not defined as one that someone else's job that you think is bullshit. It's them defining their own job as bullshit. And uh, he basically made the point that postmodern capitalism as structured requires a whole layer of bullshit jobs that no one could possibly enjoy. And yet we endure it because we can't seem to think out, think our way out of the situation we've gotten into, right? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of those jobs he described were cushy by a lot of people's standards. You know, a lot of free time, you could do whatever you want. You could 
you know, on the company dollar, you can look at porn or whatever. Uh, but the existential crises that those jobs sparked were not worth the cushiness. I don't right. I don't think. Totally. It's the, also management itself, right? It's like we put a whole layer in where we thought that we could separate doing from thinking and the people who get paid to, um, uh, presumably do the thinking, uh, in a lot of, uh, our modern economy are basically just sitting around looking at spreadsheets and stuff and talking about things that other people are doing. And we're disconnected entirely from the sort of meaning of engaging in your own existence. In, in desperation, two weeks ago, I took a very menial labor job delivering laundry and picking up laundry from people around the city. And I kind of loved it. Um, you know, just the, the physical exercise and the freedom because I'm just in my car listening to podcasts. And, you know, you say hi to people at their door picking up the stuff. And it was a, like slightly demeaning, but more it was just like free and fun. And um, but the problem is I got more in parking tickets than I made. So <laughs> I think you would have been a great character on high maintenance. I don't think I've seen that. Show. Sure you have. It's the it went from Internet to either HBO or Netflix is about the pot dealers in New York City. Oh, oh, I think I have. I think Frankie, my wife, showed me it. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And it's about basically the, you know, looking at the world kind of from the inside out. Right. It's seeing the weird network of people that a New York City pot dealer interacts with on a daily basis. I've had so many strange jobs in New York City. I was a butler. That was kind of similar. For who? Well, it was this company, Hello Alfred. So it was like the Uber of butlering. Like, oh, I, I remember that. It was like early internet. It's like, you bring my laundry to me. Yeah, and then go yeah, shopping okay. for people, pick up their prescriptions, make their beds, take out their trash, and that's basically it. Oh, no uh, shit. It's, was it with, at least you, got, you get to look around people's apartments when they're not there, look inside yeah. their uh, bedside tables? Take naps under their dining room table <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was all right. But, it, you know, it just felt like I was a, a mule for people at a certain point because I was going in the subways with this cart and I was just like, you know, carrying 50 pounds worth of groceries or laundry in this cart up and down the subway stairs all day. And what oh, kind yeah, of weather. No, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. All so, right. What other jobs? Uh, when I first moved to the city, I was delivering juice by bicycle in the winter. And the place was on like 53rd Street. And I, I sometimes would have to go down to Wall Street by bicycle through the snow to deliver one bottle of juice. And then they wouldn't tip me. <laughs> oh, New York, New York. Mm -hmm. All right. So then what? I think the same woman who owned that juice bar, she hired me for a day at uh, Chelsea Markets selling like bags with funny sayings on them uh i quit immediately on that one what else? i've had some i've delivered juice and ice in a giant van to like the most fancy uh bars and hotel restaurants all over the city like the polo club and what juice do they buy 
so we would fresh squeeze everything and like brew uh, shrubs, which is like, I guess. Um, oh, vinegar. right. Yeah. yeah it's like a kombucha kind of drink, right? Yeah. Little, yeah. 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 And syrups, we'd like hand make everything. So I started in the, um, the factory making the juices and bottle and like labeling the bottles. And it was like, you know, a bunch of Spanish speaking workers. And then they were like, who has a driver's license? And me and the only other white guy were like, we do. <laughs> and uh, so we would drive around the city delivering bags of ice and picking up ingredients. And yeah, that was that was OK. One, one time in, in uh, Chinatown near where I live now, we, we stopped for noodles after picking up some ingredients from the uh, Thai store and we got out of the restaurant to find that the street had been barricaded in by a parade that was setting up. So there were like <laughs> dancing ladies and this Italian guy managing the floats. And I was just like, he was just yelling at me like, you idiot, you don't know how to drive. And I was driving worse because of it. So I backed into an awning. And every time I passed the awning, I'm like, I made that dent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So then eventually... Uh, you ended up at Stork, um, and producing how to tick yourself. So you're an AV guy. Is that wait, what, what's your technical skill? Do, what'd you go to school for? Music for jazz guitar, uh, All right. performance. So yeah, we had to learn some engineering and mic placement and stuff like that. Editing. I mean, I'd been making my own hip hop beats for forever. So I, I've been editing audio for probably 15, close to 20 years now. And so eventually my college degree, uh, I got some use out of it and <laughs> what, how it, how it really started was I had my own podcast for a very long time since early on, right? Yeah. yeah since 2012, so different iterations of it at least. And, uh, one of my guests recommended that I fill in for him. Well, initially he wanted me to come with him and do the work while he just watched me do the work at someone's do you know pete holmes no he's like a you know a pretty established comedian he had that show crashing on hbo for a few seasons okay and, and he's got a big podcast and i i just went to his apartment my friend called in hungover so it was just me which it would have been awkward if it wasn't because like why do you need one guy just sitting there and another guy doing the actual job in your apartment it would have been very awkward and uh, yeah, through that, I, I eventually got recommended to do work for The Ringer uh, with the Dave Chang show and with JJ mm -hmm. Reddick's show. And then that led to me engineering a police podcast for a fellow comedian that was actually pretty successful. Then I worked for the Comedy Cellar and then I worked for Stork. Basically. So where so where are we in in your mind or your opinion in the history and trajectory of podcasts are we past peak podcast are we moving towards it i know this show's the greatest one ever but outside that <laughs> what um what do you where, where, where do you think we are well i think i talked to a, a guy who's like a podcast consultant recently because I, I had the same question and he seemed to think that at least in the corporate world, like internally and for niche corporate stuff, we're still like in peak podcasts. But in terms of like for entertainment, I think I don't think it's like dying quickly. I just think it's oversaturated and, you know, it's probably going to stay like growing on a slow trajectory for a while and then probably 
probably everyone's going to live in VR. So whatever the podcast equivalent of that will be. So my old, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this before. My old, my roommate in the nineties, I was roommates with Will Arnett for years. And, um, so it's tough on me cause I hold, he's my standard for podcasts. I will be as successful as my former roommate before I'm done. Nice. And we're, we're what we're getting there step by step. Yes. You know, s- soon enough we'll have, you know, millions of listeners and tens of millions in revenue. Uh, we're yeah. not quite there yet, but we'll get there eventually. Well, let's step on the VR uh, platform before the boom happens there. So you're in on the ground floor. Let's get there first. So do we need avatars? How do we do that? <laughs> what- <laughs> have you ever gone on uh, VR chat? No. Oh, my God. It's so psychedelic. Because not only do you have an insane avatar, which can be like, this size relative to us, or it can be like a gigantic blue whale and you're towering over everyone. But not only do you have this weird avatar, but you can switch it randomly throughout your interactions with people. You can like copy other people's avatars. And you're there's like a million worlds that you go into from like flight simulators where you're either shooting down aircrafts or you're in a fighter jet or tiny elevators filled with people screaming and then you go out and there are sharks in a tornado and you're it's just so psychedelic and you can be like my my buddy was out in washington state and i was with him and in real real time we felt like we were in all these worlds together and it was so trippy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i've done comedy in there in um, a 1990s replicated kmart in front of a little caesar's (laughs) to aliens and anime women and god knows what (laughs) okay well back back to the real world there there's (laughs) there's infinite universes on the streets of new york city you Mm -hmm. do a lot of man on the street stuff Mm -hmm. every time i see those i think has he ever been attacked by someone? Do people get mad <laughs> or do they just have nothing to say like a New Yorker and pretend that you don't even exist and walk right by you? Yeah, I've never been attacked. The closest thing during doing that was this woman who I, I think she was like a sex worker with some drug problems. And she but she was very nice. And she like sprayed me with some weird pink liquid all over my head and it smelled good but it was like watery so i could tell that's not what came in the bottle originally (laughs) and and then funnily enough we did a a similar um we did another sketch at the starbucks across from Tompkins square park where that happened and the sketch was me pretending to get therapy in the starbucks and i got so fed up with the the inadequacy of the therapy that i'd throw the drink on my therapist and we, we looked for drinks to buy and we bought this like pink, whatever, dragon fruit drink. And yeah. it, it wound up smelling exactly like the stuff she, she sprayed on me. So I have to think maybe she poured that in the bottle and sprayed. <laughs> I saw that just the other day because we were in Starbucks in Cleveland two days ago. And I saw that drink. We have tried a dragon fruit kombucha. Mm. Hasn't quite worked out because the chips didn't work, but um, there you have it. So let's talk about aliens. What 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 do we need to know? 
What do we, we need to know what's actually happening because there's the TikTok, TikTok UFOs, right? There's this footage going around and the Pentagon came out in the midst of the pandemic saying that they don't know what these, is, these are, but they are verified as being unknown crafts and they're reputable sources. And uh, do you know Eric Weinstein? No, never. Heard I was listening. I was listening to him on, on Rogan. He's like, you know, a trained physicist. And apparently he was contacted by the government, by the FBI to be on board with their team that's dealing with these UFOs. And uh, apparently he's just been slow, slow rolled. They've not, never like told him much of anything except for confirming that they're real and they're insane. But they like keep telling him like be on board, be ready at any time for the past three years, and then have never brought to him go on. to go on a UFO or to come to look at one when they capture it. I'm not sure, or just to like, I'm not I'm not sure, just to be a consultant. But he was he was saying that there's it's the only job of the future, right? Consulting, <laughs> right, right. But he was saying there's only two other physicists in the whole FBI or the ufo program and their backgrounds are pretty unimpressive and as is his in terms of like top physicists in the country so he was saying like there's no one qualified on board in the project at at the at the moment so we should be does that mean we should be worried what does that mean either we should be worried or the project is a front to distract us from something else or i don't know money laundering yeah. It's always a front for money laundering, right? Internet, intergalactic <laughs> cocaine, um, you know, front. yeah. All right. So I, you, so you, uh, got married what last year? Am I right? September. Yeah. September of last year, your wife, Francesca, you guys performed together mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as a comedy duo or just in the same bill. You know, we do like one kind of sketch at the end of the show she she hosts the show and then i do my long set and then she comes out and does burlesque and there's like a sketch that we lead into it like this is her way of showing me how to be enlightened um mm, her, so her. she does the burlesque that answers my question who's funnier you or your wife you know she's naturally funnier um she's just like gregarious and high energy and um charming mm but you write a better joke. Yeah. I've been doing it for much longer than her, but I think, you know, she's an oncology dietitian. She has a real job that she loves and she's great at. Uh, and now she's in grad school to boot for public health. So, uh, oncology she, isn't exactly like a laugh riot. Uh, <laughs> no area, right? <laughs> no, there is a lot of diarrhea though. So that's good. <laughs> um, but she, uh, you know, her comedy is not her main focus, but I think once she's out of grad school, she's probably going to pass me by real quickly because women in comedy are a much uh, higher value asset than men in comedy. They're, we're a dime a dozen. If if they're funny, right, they got to be and I don't want to be sexist here, but like the list of of female comedic greats is shorter than the list of males because maybe it's just a numbers game. It's obviously True. a numbers game. True. Uh, yeah. All right. So tell us how to meditate. What do we do? It's, it's such a balancing act because for the longest time I thought 
it was bullshit. This idea of having a thoughtless state, you know, a peace. Uh, but but gradually over fifteen plus years of doing it, I can I can get to a place where I'm not thinking. I'm just completely at peace, and I feel like I'm enveloped in warm plasma or something. Uh, but the 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 balancing act is finding what between focus and relaxation because you have to be focused stillness right 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 and you have to be aware of the thoughts coming and the emotions coming and in order to get to that place of of just pure nothingness and awareness uh you have to first acknowledge every distraction and in a non judgmental non-pushy way you kind of have to just see it and let it dissipate and once you get the muscle memory of kind of doing that it almost becomes like a game of high fast-paced pong where you're going from thought to emotion to emotion to thought to presentness and kind of acknowledging them and they just dissipate quicker and quicker and quicker and then eventually you kind of are, are left without any any uh, fodder for that game and and you're just there and then it drops away my my favorite um uh one of my favorite writers nisargadatta maharaj the guy who wrote i am that uh he has two words for it one is witness but the other is the knower and he talks about how um, there are the things that you think you know, um, but those are different than the knower mm. himself. And we get caught in the stream of thoughts instead of being able to be the watcher, right? Like it's... Mm. um. My feeling about all of that, the point you're making is like, how do we know a thing, right? Or how do we even experience a thought? Mm. They don't, they're not just sitting out there by themselves. They are up in against a background. That's how you know a thing. Sort of it stands out against that which it is not. Right. Mm. So you see it. Right. So a thought is is it can only be known against not that thought. Right. Yeah. yeah. You are not that thought. You right. are the part against which it can be recognized or known. And that, to me, the the big challenge is to to flip like it's two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. right there is your existence and the things that happen in it right yeah. and you want to be able to see the things that happen to you from the standpoint of your existence not get carried away by the things that happen to you and let them sort of take over all your awareness yeah absolutely and i think also on another level once you realize you're not that thought, then you kind of see you also are that thought too. And sure. Yeah. In the sense that we're, we're kind of the thoughts of the universe, you know, that we just pop in and out just like a thought. 
Yes. Okay. So do you actually go uh, into the, what, like a, a meditative state while you're on stage? What happens then? Are the people laughing at you? Um, well, usually I do a guided meditation, right? And it does feel a little trippy to be standing there with my eyes closed, hoping everyone else's eyes are also closed and meditating and they're not just staring at me snickering, but uh, making fun of me rather than laughing with me. How long um, is it? How long is that part? Usually between three and 10 minutes, depending on how drunk the audience is. (laughs) All right. So I'm not drunk at all. Let's do one right now. Okay. Sure. Um, All right. So get some good posture going. Try to feel like your spine is just a string of pearls hanging from your head. Your head should be kind of parallel, per- parallel with the ceiling, top of your head. Take a deep breath and kind of just maintain some fluidity of awareness throughout your body and notice where, if any, tension is lying. Like I notice there's tension in my chest and throat because I'm on a podcast and I'm uh, a little self-conscious, but I'm, I'm noticing that tension. And without trying to push it away, just let whatever tension you see dissipate. Try not to get lost in it, but try not to have an adversarial relationship with it either. Just notice the sensations that make up the emotions or the thoughts. And as you notice the sensations start to dissipate. Just bring yourself into this present moment and try to just feel what it's like to sit in the room you are in without any concept, conceptual notion of what this moment means or who you are. And inevitably, you'll find another thought or feeling come into consciousness. Just notice it. Don't be disappointed by the distraction. Or if you are disappointed, notice that disappointment. Notice your relationship to that disappointment. Are you thinking about the disappointment? How to, and are you feeling something about your thought about the disappointment? And eventually you'll notice everything you do creates a chain reaction, like ripples in a pond. And ultimately, Creating those ripples solves nothing. So just make the agreement with yourself to look at these thoughts and feelings without reacting to them.
just watch them dissipate like clouds moving across the sky on a windy day. And slowly open your eyes and no more dead air time. Feeling good. <laughs> do you have, do you hear a, um, what's your background sound in silence? Um, I mean, I feel like I hear sort of a high pitched, uh, as if the power's on, on an amplifier. Oh, wow. Do you hear that? I think I hear nothing. I mean, sometimes I'll hear my heartbeat or like the blood rushing through my. Yeah, no, I have this thing. It's like, um, it's it's, I've either got tinnitus from uh, going to too many shows or I'm uh, uh, or I'm going deaf because I'm over 50 or I'm hearing the sound of the universe. One of those three things or maybe all of them. Yeah, maybe all maybe maybe going deaf is the sound of the universe. <laughs> Dude, that's great. You do that at your comedy shows. That's like two that's like a two two shows for the price of one. We're coming yeah. next time we can get down there. Awesome. It's three shows because you get the burlesque too. Oh, but, we get the burlesque too. And uh the problem is though, I'm going to Scotland without Frankie. And I'm going with my buddy Sean Barry. And uh, so we're gonna have to do the burlesque ourselves. So I've I've bought I bought this. In preparation. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so our friend Crazy Legs Conti uh, is a um, aficionado of uh, skimpy menswear. If you uh, need some advice on that, um, okay. so where else? Where else can um, what? What's in the plans? Where can a listener catch you? uh performing in coming months that our turnaround here is only gonna gonna be very short well this podcast is gonna be up in march so when can they see you well just go to my website steiner.carrd.co steiner.card.co with two r's and uh all my dates are there i've got yeah i've got shows in manhattan when i'm back and then I'll be in Canada and Toronto on the 15th, Rochester on the 14th, trying to book something in Montreal too. Um, but yeah. 15th of April. Yeah. I'll be in London on the 25th of March. Um, Scott McDonald, older brother, if you're listening, here you go. Uh, we got lots of listeners in Toronto. Where are you performing in Toronto? This it's a, it's a secret show. It's a tattoo parlor, but, uh, if you go to my website, you'll see the link. There's like a secret address. I'm, I don't know if I'm supposed to add, okay. Okay. advertise. All right. Well, we'll keep it between us and the rest of the internet. Yes. <laughs> Andrew Steiner, thank you for making um, uh, How to Took Yourself a Great Show in its first year. Uh, it's been great knowing you. And you can't too. wait to see you live. Thank you for the meditation. It's been a blast. My, pl my pleasure. Thanks, Duff. Cheers, dude. Okay, folks, so that was uh, Andrew Steiner, our amazing producer from season one of this podcast. Uh, funny guy, sweet guy. 
Uh, we owe him so much here at How to Took Yourself for um, helping um, set a standard uh, in that first season that uh, we try to live up to. And because um, this is a one-man interview, I'll keep this short and sweet to end it. Andrew uh, reminds me, just talking to him, reminds me of a point that uh, I think about a lot these days. We think, uh, we tend to all think of ourselves as the doer. I did this. I did that. I want credit for this. I want credit for that. But if you look at any situation you were ever in in your whole life uh, with even a little bit of uh, focus, you'll realize that there were always other people involved. There were always other influence involved. Andrew's a great example. You know, I could say that I do this podcast, but it's not me that does this podcast. It's me. It's Matt. It's all our guests. It's Oscar Desidero who produces every episode. It's Kristen Verbitsky who makes it happen. It's Chuck LaBella who is our executive producer. It's all those people and it's all those intersecting lives that meet up at various points in time and, and things happen as a result of it. You are not the doer. You simply have a unique point of view into the things that are happening around you. And I want to read something here to close it out. This is from uh, the teachings of Sri Ramakrishna. And he says, if one acquires the conviction that everything is done by God's will, then one becomes an, only an instrument in the hands of God and one is free even in this life. You can shake off all of the things that drag us down, expectation, anxiety, guilt, remorse, all of those things derive from your sense that you're the doer. You can actually kick back in your own life, let your life happen, engage in your life, but shake off the sense that you are doing all the things and understand that it's not just you, it's people like Andrew Steiner. It's people like Matt McButter. It's all the people that you interact with and you intersect with that make things happen in the intersection of humanity. It's not just you. It's you plus everyone, which equals basically God. So there you have it. We'll be back with you in a week. Cheers. present moment traveling town to town the mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now whoa right here right now You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. 
Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear.